The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 Podcast Network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, happy to join you on another Monday here in Tallahassee. And let me be the first to wish everyone a happy early Thanksgiving as we have reached rivalry week in the world of college football. And that means Florida, Florida State this week. There are a lot of new changes that will be taking place in this rivalry game on Saturday, and we will have much more on that matchup and the drama surrounding both teams heading into next Saturday's game, including a lot more from the world of sports as a whole this last weekend. But first, rejoining me in the co-host chair while Gabe is away for Thanksgiving week is Sebastian Angel Rihanna. Sebastian, you're usually in the prod booth, but you're make you make your return to the co-host chair for the first time since summer. How you doing, bud? Well, you say it make like a return, like it wasn't a scene out of prison break when I finally <laughs> managed to bust open that lock that's about <laughs> 40 years old. But uh, that's right, baby, I'm back. It's been forever uh, since I was here in the in the uh, the DJ booth. Really, um, I'm usually in the background helping everything get ready. Uh, but I'm excited to be back, and we've got a lot to talk about on today's show, and I'm I'm thrilled. I'm yeah, thrilled. I think the, the last time you were you were on the panel or the co-host, I think. Might have been when the Lightning were winning the Stanley Cup. I think last time. Uh, the yes. So in the in the co-host seat, uh, it was is still Brett, playoff it was hockey. You Brett, yeah, playoff hockey. Uh, early June question mark. Something early like June sounds right. If not, uh, late April. Uh, sound the death throes of the uh, regular season. Uh, but apart from that, I mean, my appearances on the co-host chair are few and far between. Um, but I will try and uh, be up to snuff uh, in uh, Gabe's absence. Well, I don't know that you can necessarily replace Gabe. He's been awesome for this us no, this year. No, yeah, absolutely. And we wish the best for him, but we're happy to have you on board here, Sebastian. We're going to talk a lot more Bucks later on. I know we're we're wearing our Bucks gear here. Uh, I'm 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 allowed to be uh, biased when it comes to the Bucks here. Uh, but also joining me in the panel tonight, Jackson Bakich, making his return. Jackson, how you doing, bud? You know. If I was doing any better, I think I'd be dead. There be we go. There we go. S- the signature line from one Jackson Bakich. No, but I, it's it's going to be a great show. we got a lot to talk about, um, as you've pointed out. And it's Hate UF week. Not that I'm biased in any way, shape, or form, but it should be an interesting week, especially with what transpired over the weekend. Absolutely. And also joining the panel tonight, making his debut, I want to say, uh, AJ LaCourcière. AJ, how you doing, bud? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I was supposed to go on a couple weeks ago, had the flu. Excited. Uh, not a better week in, in my books of the year. Thanksgiving, yeah. family, food, football. There Can't we go. Can't get much better than that. And it might, you know, you, your team, it might not have been a better weekend than your team in the NFL. I know you're a huge Dolphins fan, uh, like Amanda Golson also on the show. Uh, Dolphins have quite, and Jackson, I completely forgot Jackson Dolphins. And, uh, quietly, a three-game winning streak now for the Dolphins. How are you feeling about them? I'm feeling good. We have a, our next three games are also pretty easy. We got the Panthers, the Giants, and the Jets with a bye week somewhere in there. And uh, Two is looking better every week. Two is looking better. Hopefully we get the 500 by the end of those we're three games. The, we're winning the AFC. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. We, have, we 
I mean, I wouldn't put it past them the way that how jumbled the AFC is right now. Uh, but we're going to get into NFL a lot later on. Uh, shout out to Scott Clemens also here on tonight's show. He's in the production booth right now on the ones and twos, making us sound a lot better than we deserve to. He's going to join us a little bit later to catch up on all the news that's gone on between Florida and Florida State. He's got some takes surrounding uh, the administration and the coaching uh, news that came out of Gainesville this last weekend, so we'll have him on. And then also on the Twitter tonight, we have Jack Olorado. Jack, how you doing, bud? Just Hi. wave. Just wave to the crowd. Hang on a second. He's wearing the production team cowboy hat. I don't think... It, are you a part of sports production at the least, Jack? He is, he, he is, he is, he is holding his finger to his mouth and shushing us. Very pretentious. We're going to need that back. I might have to call in Scott a little earlier than we intended just to wrestle that back. Well, no matter what, we, we love Jack keeping it awesome for us on the Twitter account uh, as we begin tonight's show. And let's get right into it. FSU, a week after... By far, I think their best win in the Mike Norvell era against Miami. Just a, a absolute classic that went down uh, in the last game at Doak this season. Uh, FSU, and what could should have and could have been described as a business trip for them, go up to Chestnut Hill against a Boston College team that had kind of been middling, but were still favored in the game. And FSU moves to 5-6 and six on the season. They beat Boston College in a game that was a lot closer than it probably should have been, if you ask Mike Norvell or anyone on the team. They beat Boston College 26-23. Uh, for the second straight game, FSU hangs on after building an early lead in the first half to win their fifth straight game and finish at 4-4 four and four in the ACC. After starting out this season 0-4 as a whole on the year and 0-2 in the ACC, uh, Jordan Travis, yet again, another great performance under center, and he, I think, has proven to be a viable candidate, if not the outright favorite to be the quarterback moving forward for this FSU team. I think he's endeared himself in the way that he's played through injuries at times, through the flu, and through some struggles early in the year. Uh, I think he's endeared himself to both the fans and the rest of his team the way that he has played uh, throughout the season. He finishes this game against Boston College uh, 20, to, 20 of 34, 251 and three touchdowns, another awesome QBR rating. I want to say it was over, almost a perfect one, over 100 for sure. Jackson, I think you can clarify that for me. I can look it up real quick. but Yeah, just a, a lights-out performance from him, uh, especially early on when it, you know, Heading into this game, that was what everyone wanted to see, including us here at the station, was whether or not Florida State could capitalize on the momentum that they garnered around the program after a game against Miami in which you win it in that fashion, whether or not they could bottle that up and not only come into Boston College and win a game, but really focus like they did in the first half against Miami and, and, and really take it to a team that was looking for an upstart upset against Florida State. Uh, and the game starts slow, slow-ish. Uh, tail of the first half, though, was really the defense and their pressure against Boston College. Uh, Florida State scores seven in the first quarter. Uh, they then go on to kick a couple field goals. They get a safety against Boston College. Uh, the front four was just absolutely menacing in the first half for Florida State, though. Clearly, clearly this team and their communication on the defensive end was as focused as we've seen them this year. Uh, and they made life a living hell for Boston College's quarterback. So, Sebastian, looking at the first half and how this game started off, uh, what was, how did you feel about the way that Florida State was able to come into this game after a big emotional win against Miami last year and kind of take it to Boston College in the first half going up 19-3? to I wasn't particularly expecting a, a letdown kind of game. 
from the uh, from the team, but I was kind of expecting a slower start. But I was very taken aback at how quickly they got in the saddle and and started going. I mean that that offense was uh, refreshingly relentless in the first half, and that defense was uh, keeping up with the offense just as they've been all year. Usually it's the other way around, right? The, the offense is ice cold to begin the game, or just um, you know st- streaky if we want to call it that, and the defense has just got to come in, bail them out, take another 20 extra snaps on top of the offense, or over the offense um, during the game, and uh, then it's just a toss-up to see how the rest of the game goes. But not that first half. That first half was excellent football on both sides of the ball, and the defense finally got an exclamation point play in a half with their safety. Excellent yeah, to see. Absolutely. And I, I think the the one impressive thing that I, I, I loved out of this team was a, the, the the defense and their communication and how menacing the front four was. I mean, they put Phil Djokovic, the Boston College quarterback, on his ass for most of the game, yep. Or, yep. especially in the first half there, uh, just absolutely living in the backfield for Boston College. And then on the offensive side, you know, you end up rushing for 3.7 yards a carry on, on, on the ground. Jordan Travis, he throws a touchdown in the first quarter. He throws a touchdown in the third quarter. It was just so, so, you know, they had their moments, but they also got stopped a little bit. But I think just the perseverance and especially the focus they came out with in the first half was awesome to see from a still growing program and growing team. Uh, AJ, I'll go to you. What impressed you the most about Florida State's start to this game? What impressed me the most was our front four, really. Right. They they were just causing havoc everywhere. Jermaine Johnson, Kira Thomas, just in the backfield. Every time you looked at the game, they were in the backfield, just causing disturbances. The BC quarterback couldn't get in a, in a good rhythm because of that. He right. was trying to escape the whole time. He couldn't throw the ball. It was really great to watch. Yeah. Jackson, I'll go to you real quick on, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, what did you see from Jordan Travis and the way this, this offense came out? Uh, did you expect them to start a little bit slower, a little faster? Or did they play to kind of your expectations coming off a good uh, win against Miami? Well, to be honest with the offense, they really came out firing. And, you know, they were able to run the ball. And whenever Florida State is able to establish the run game, that really opens up the field for Jordan Travis. And that's what they were able to do. And it allows Jordan Travis to be able to pass the ball. allows Jordan Travis to be able to do some read options. So establishing the run game, which is what they did, is really what helped Florida State this weekend. But the, the biggest impression for me had to have been Florida State's ability to not turn the ball over the entire game. Yeah. Um. You know, like like we saw against Miami, that turnover deep in our own territory was absolutely critical. Let them back in the ball it, game, and it could have really cost us the game. And it really, it, it really should have cost Florida State the game. Um, but their ability to turn the ball o- or not turn the ball over, especially when BC was making a comeback, they could have tried to force things. They could have tried to you know kind of abandon the game plan and do things out of the ordinary. But instead, they they took care of the football. They did what they had to do, and then the defense, especially getting that last stop, was absolutely huge. I was very impressed, especially since they had not been playing all that well in the second half either. Yeah, we we can talk about the second half as well. You know, Florida State heads into the half after a, a Ryan Fitzgerald uh, field goal makes it nineteen to three to end the first half, uh, and then you know they come out and score to make it twenty six to three, and you're thinking Florida State's going to get a, a signature blowout win on the road. After a Miami a Miami win, just these compounding wins, it's awesome for the program. 
And then through a confluence of events, some bad calls that don't go Florida State's way, uh, especially the kick-catch interference call and the, the late hit or the unnecessary roughness that gets called on, on Phil Dracovich there when he's clearly sliding. I don't know what you know, you're supposed to do in that situation. I think ACC by far has, has the worst referees on planet Earth uh, when it comes to college football. It's just it's so frustrating, too, when it, yeah. when it, especially on these defensive personal fouls. Because it's like, what are you supposed to oh, do gosh. as a defensive linesman? Are you just supposed to say, no gravity, I'm not going to move into the, um, move in this direction. I'm not going to adhere to Newton's first laws of physics. We're, we're just going to immediately stop like video game, char- video game characters as soon as we run into the, the, the quarterback when he's gotten rid of the ball. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's gotten to a point where it's ridiculous, and that they were so trigger happy during the entire game. One play I want to point in particular to was a delay of game that moved Florida State back five yards from a fourth and one to a fourth and six. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a obviously, like I said, it was a delay of game. Usually, co- or uh, the referees, especially the linesmen, will give uh, the coach on the quarterback to like a, a little bit of leeway. It's like the clock hits zero, and they immediately throw the flags. It's not usually what happens at both levels of of uh, American football. Usually they give you like a second, maybe a second and a half to go like, are you going to call a timeout or what? What are we doing here? And then they'll throw it. But it was, I, I timed it on my phone. It was less than a quarter of a second. And um, it cost uh, Florida State a big five yards on what was going to be a, a significant drive towards the end of the first half. Yeah, it's it's absolutely, you know, there's so many calls that could have, could have gone Florida State's way. I'm looking at a couple. The there are a couple offensive pass interferences that, that don't go Florida State's way, despite the fact that the referees are just looking at the defender falling down, seeing the defender react, throw his hands up, and then throwing the flag as if it was clearly uh, on uh, FSU that penalty when the defender really tripped. In in reality, you get the the the. The forced fumble that turns out to be a forward pass that I think later leads to a Boston College uh, score there to get them back in the ball game, and then you also get just some splash plays that are legitimate defensive breakdowns. The Zay Flowers uh, catch or run after the catch that was as good a play as I've seen this year, breaking multiple FSU defenders' uh, ankles on that to get set them up. So you get to twenty six twenty three, and uh, with about ten minutes, I want to say in in the fourth quarter, and from then on out. FSU completely stood their ground. They do not let Boston College even cross midfield, I don't want to say. They have to punt multiple times. FSU gets the ball back and puts the game out of reach. Uh, they win it 26-23. So, AJ, I want to go to you. I'll go to you, and then I'll go to Jackson. Uh, just your impression about the team and the way that they were able to close this game out uh, when clearly it's been a trend for Florida State to let teams back into ball games. Uh, just how they've been able to close games out these last couple of weeks. It's refreshing to see. Um, I'm not used to this as a uh, Florida State fan. Yeah. Um, but it's been refreshing to see. It's it shows that they're starting to believe in Norvell's system almost. They're starting to believe that they can win. They can go out, play a football game, close out the game, and win a game. And I think that's really important, especially going into next year, uh, when we when the Florida State team comes back with same players, same quarterback, uh, new recruits. I think it's going to really help them. Yeah, absolutely, Jackson. I think this is a young team really starting to learn how to win games. And I think it's it's so important to to recognize that Coach Norvell's ability to manage the clock there at the end. That it, it's so understated, you know, taking the timeout to avoid the delay game and then, you know, kinda of running around, throwing the ball out of bounds on fourth down 
you know, making sure that they do not get the ball back was a huge, huge plus on his part. And like AJ was saying, this team's coming together. They're finally, you know, believing in Norvell's process. They're finally understanding what it takes to win a ball game. And not only to keep yourself from losing, but like we saw in Miami, you know, going down and winning the game. Mm-hmm. That's something that Florida State has not seen. And it's such a hard contrast from, you know, the, the Boise State game in 2018 when we were when Florida State was at, what, 31, 13, something yeah. along those lines. And just, just to see how far I know that's, you know, two completely different ball, uh, ball clubs. But just the morale within the team, it's a completely different feeling. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the communication down the stretch, there were no blown coverages. There was no sort of confusion on the defensive end when it got to, you know, uh, no turnovers. Crunch, when it got to crunch no time in the ball game, Boston College got the ball back with a chance to score, to take the lead, or tie the game. And FSU and their front four and their uh, defense absolutely stood their ground. That's something that we have not seen for most of the season. Usually it's it's a back-and-forth game. Like the Miami game, for instance, you let Miami all the way back in uh, on the defensive side, and then it's the offense that kind of has to save you. And, of course, they, they end up stopping Miami at midfield because of the, the, the spike play. Uh, but it's such a, such a different defense than what we saw earlier in the year that were blowing games to Notre Dame and Jacksonville State and, and what have you there. So it's just really impressive to see. Sebastian, I'll, I'll go to you uh, and, and what a win like this a business trip style win going up on the road after a big win at home. Uh, is this something that we can look forward to for, for FSU uh, as a program moving forward? Do you en- envision this being a, a foundational sort of uh, track, uh, you know, trend for Florida State? If you're not going to disregard 0 and 4, then you can't disregard 5 and 2. Thank you. Um, yeah. You, Absolutely. You can't, but at the same time, you can't have one without the other. I genuinely think by hitting rock bottom the way that Florida State did against Jacksonville State, um, and believe me, I was there. I was I was there sitting next to Jackson, and I was stewing in my seat after that game and around after midnight because that's how long that damn game took. Um, without that game, you also don't get um, the development that you see um, over the stretch of the past seven games. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, um, we now have more groundwork when when you work on that groundwork stuff um, over the course of the year, over the course of 11 games, you now are setting the foundation for next year. Whatever happens next Saturday, be it 5-7 and seven or 6-6, six and six, you, you have to acknowledge that the foundation now is different than when it was the year before or last year. There are no more, oh, well, it was a COVID year. There is no more, oh, well, now he has to clean out all the uh, dead wood from, uh, from uh, Tiger time. We're finally ready to see um, a full and complete season where there can be expectations um, for Florida State. 2022 is going to be the single biggest year um, that Florida State will have had since 2015. Uh, Since 2015. So that's seven years. Um, The past six years of Florida State football have led to this game and next year. Definitely, without a doubt. Um... I don't think I'm ready personally to have expectations right. as a uh, as a Florida State student. This being my final game as a Florida State student, um, I don't think I'm ready for that. Just because I I know what it's like to to hurt after games like this. Um, I've never hurt in the way like I said after that Jacksonville State game because I felt a hot white pit of just absolute despair <laughs> and and find and seeing that Florida State had found another way to lose. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I think I've said it on air, but I had the text uh, 
former co-host Austin Reynolds, yeah. um, him being the uh, Atlanta sports expert that he is, of uh, finding new ways to lose. And I was like, oh, my God, this is how you guys – and this isn't a slight at Atlanta in the slightest, but, oh, my God, this is how you guys feel every it time it happens. But, like, and so I just needed some support from somebody who knew what was going on in my stomach because it was just a hot, white pain. Yeah. I don't think we'll experience that um, anytime soon, soon again for Florida State. But um, on, to, on to Saturday, on to Gainesville. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into Gainesville in just a second. But, Jackson, I know you had some words about FSU as a program going forward. Yeah, I think this team reminds me of the 2019 and 2020 Dolphins. And okay. this is going to be a weird uh, comparison, but I think it's pretty cool. So in 2019... The Dolphins started out 0-7, right? They win five of their last nine games. Next year, they go 10-6. and I'm not saying we're going to have a 10-6 and type of season. Obviously, we don't play 16 games. But, you know, s- similar to that sort of, you know, contending in the ACC, contending for, you know, a possibly a New Year's Six Bowl, not predicting that. But, you know, coming down the stretch of November, having a chance to maybe win eight or nine games, maybe ten games, is not out of the question for me. I, I think um, Florida State has a really good shot to have the mindset of, you know, we need to improve ourselves still, but we have the confidence of winning games now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We can talk about Florida State moving forward as a program all we want and looking forward to some stuff. Well, one program that Florida State does not want to look to as a blueprint for how to manage situations and develop uh, their players and their, their program as a whole would be the University of Florida down in Gainesville. And this kind of pertains to what we're going to talk about with the game coming up this weekend. Uh, biggest news both nationally and as it pertains to Florida State from this last weekend in college football, uh, Dan Mullen, the head coach of the Florida Gators, is officially out. He was fired after Florida loses their sixth game of the year on the road at Missouri, who was also 5-5 five and five at the time. They lose in overtime 24-23. They finished with two wins in the SEC uh, in Mullen's fourth year. The previous three years under Dan Mullen, Florida went to the SEC championship once from the East, went to three New Year's Six Bowls, but citing, you know, what have you, uh, consistency errors, uh, the inability to recruit, and just an overall loss of a grip on the program that he was leading, Dan Mullen's career at Florida is officially over. He finishes it at 34-15, and Five and six on the season, and it feels really weird because I get here in 2018 to Florida State. I come on this show as Dan Mullen gets to Florida in 2018, uh, and then as we, uh, as I leave here, this uh, the station, and this being my final semester, uh, Dan Mullen is also on the way out. So, AJ, I'll go to you on this first, and I want to get the, your take because as a former person that has covered Florida and, and knows Florida well, especially the Dan Mullen era here. Uh, what was your initial reaction when you saw the news yesterday that Florida had, in fact, fired Dan Mullen? I was surprised. Um, I, I think a lot of people saw this coming. I didn't really see it coming. Uh, he went to two SEC championship games in the past two years. Uh, he's had New Year's Six Bowls, as you said. I just don't see any direction that Florida can go now after firing. Who are they going to hire? There's big-time jobs out there, LSU, USC, that going to be competing for coaches as well I just don't see five games losing streak is pretty big especially at Florida I just don't see any direction they can go in now yeah 
Uh, it's certainly something to wonder here. I, I would, uh, and Sebastian, I'll kick it to you next if you, if you uh, want to give a few words on Dan Mullen and his time at Florida. But I just think it got it got to a point of, of all along the last couple of years, the people that were actually making decisions behind the curtains for Florida were kind of malcontent with the way that Dan Mullen carried himself and carried or represented the program as a whole with the stuff that he said to the media with his lack of focus as a uh, with the program as a whole and then it kind of just came to a huge halt I th- I take I take it back all the way to last year and their game against LSU where they are I believe 24 point favorites at the time against the reeling LSU team albeit in a covid year but they go out and they absolutely drop an egg to LSU. That's obviously the shoe game where Marco Wilson throws a shoe. They lose that game. They lose all momentum that they had that season when they were contending for a college football playoff spot. And then it carries into this year where you you know, you know play Alabama to just two points. You come within two points of beating Alabama. Two extra points, really, from you know tying the game. They miss one extra point, and then they have to go for two. And, and, and what you thought would be a building block, something to kind of set your goal on, you know, you could have easily said to your team, hey, if we focus up, we can meet these guys back in Atlanta, which you know a lot of people thought would happen. Instead, they lose to Kentucky, they lose to Georgia, they lose to LSU, they lose to South Carolina, they lose to Missouri. And that is all she wrote there. So, Sebastian, I'll go to you. Uh, where do you think Florida goes from here? I, I, I just don't know because the bar has been set. As much as we'd like to harp on, you know, um, college football is about all about what have you done for me lately, right? Right, absolutely. But um, this guy was 34-15. and 15. That's a 694 winning percentage. Yeah. Um, what more do you want? Like, I, understandably, the point that – or the, the, the crutch that you pointed to, the, the shoe game, 29-6 before that game, 5-9 and nine cents. So there's some validity to that. But, you know, you can consider this a down year. And, and I, again, I point to the record because, you know, we Bobby had down, down years. Bobby had down years here at Florida State, and, uh, you know, you still stood by him, and he still, you know, had 14 straight 10-plus uh, win seasons. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to build anything in, in college football, even if you have a massive head start like schools like Florida do. Yeah. Uh, but I, that bar has been set really damn high. I don't think the uh, the coaching capital is there this year out on the market right now. They're going to have to – I think they're going to have to claw someone away from a different organization. I just don't know who. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've heard different names, and we might have a chance to talk about that later. But uh, I just want, like, that shoe game, I mean, sure, you can you can point to the shoe game as a catalyst or, or like, a, the first first domino to fall. But is, a, is losing or missing out on a college football playoff and then, you know, having a sour year in the next year really enough to can a guy? I just don't think so. I just don't think so. This is such a gross overreaction by... Uh, the Florida fan base, and I say this gen- and like uh, as objectively as I can. I'm, I'm not trying to be like uh, one of those, you know, uh, snide uh, Florida State fans who's like, "Oh no, we really don't want to see uh, Mullen go." Sure, there's a bit of me that thinks that, but at the same time, this is a this is a quality coach in the sense of like the on-field results are undeniable, and you still can him. Like he's like, "What have you done for me lately?" I feel like at this point in the overall college football scene. We've we've gone a little too far with this kind of thing. Hmm. Certainly something to think. And, and Scott, I'll go to you next. I know you've been waiting on this for a little bit. Uh, Dan Mullen, this is a guy that went to three New Year's Six Bowls. He won two of them. But the last one against Oklahoma was an absolute failure as a program and not having your guys focused at all. And then after the game, 
trying to make excuses for why they weren't focused, saying, oh, the team that played tonight wasn't actually this year's team. That team already played their last game against Alabama. Just making up excuses as you go along. This is a guy that went three. He's the only coach. We were talking about this yesterday. He is the only coach to have an undefeated record against Florida State as a Florida head coach and be fired. It's absolutely crazy. So I want to get your take real quick on on Dan Mullen's firing. I think it's something interesting. And uh, I think what shocked me the most was that the speed that it all came down. I'm absolutely. not, not going to stand up here and say that I was necessarily shocked by it or that I am shocked by the nature of how fast college football moves. We've seen here at Florida State especially how fast kind of things move where if you're not showing these results, if you're not showing some form of improvement, then you're going to get out of there. What is interesting to me is that you're starting to see this pattern at Florida, first with Muschamp, with McIlwain, and now with Mullen, where you get these guys that have these one impressive years, like these nine, ten win seasons with Dan Mullen, he went what, eleven and two, twelve and two that year, something? So Dan Mullen goes eleven and three his or sorry, ten and three his first year, eleven and two his second year, then eight and four last year, and then five and six this year. Yes. It, yeah, like you get these guys who they have a couple years of impressive runs and then they just kinda implode on himself. Muschamp had that uh three and eight, like that four and eight year yeah. Uh, McIlwain had another like poor season in his, in his he, last he did, year. He went. McIlwain went to two SEC championship games, and then got fired the third year, and they, they went four and eight that season. And so, what it really, what really that shows to me, and what gets me thinking is how much of this is actually kind of the coach's problem, because we have now seen three coaches come through Gainesville and end with pretty exactly the same results i would say and you have a guy sitting in the athletic department at scott strickland who uh mullen had obviously been uh kind of i'd say mixed opinion at this point i'd say popular with the fans unpopular with kind of administration people who worked with the university you have an absolutely abhorrent situation with the women's basketball program there Mm -hmm. like how much of this i would argue is actually related to dan mullen and or is there something deeper in the water in the swamp that we're just not seeing? So before we end the half here, we're going to talk a little bit more Mullen and talk about the Florida Florida State game in the second half. But what I would refute there with with the pro, you know as an administration wide air, Strickland and Mullen came in in the same year. Strickland brought Mullen with him, so I would refute that it has anything to do with the McElwain and the Muschamp hires. I think those were two legitimately like mediocre hires where they were kind of over their skis when it came to. Uh, game planning on 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 Saturdays they were better recruiters than Dan Mullen but they just couldn't make it work on 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 uh, Saturdays and they weren't exactly the friendliest guys to get along with so that's one thing I would refute but it's certainly certainly interesting and we're going to come back with Jackson to talk about future head coaching candidates and then the Florida Florida State game uh, as we wrap up the first half here on Tomahawk Talk you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee the voice of Florida State be back in a second all right, we are back here for the second half of Tomahawk Talk. Sebastian Andriano with me, AJ LaCourcier with me, Jackson Bakage. We got Scott Clemens over there. We were just talking about uh, the Dan Mullen situation at Florida and his firing from this last weekend. So really quickly before we hit on the Florida-Florida State game, uh, Jackson, who are you looking at, you know, from an unbiased opinion, who are you looking at for Florida to potentially get back to where that program should be? If I am Florida administration, I am thinking about you know, Mario Cristobal. 
I'm thinking about he's Oregon, I believe. Uh, he's been a name yes. that's been going around. Um, I'm definitely thinking about Mark Stoops, which as a uh, he was a former Florida State assistant. He uh, he's credited for building the 2013 national uh, national championship defense. And also, you know, my my mom's beloved Wildcats. He's the head coach of there. I'd hate to see him leave from there. But um, I think Mark Stoops. If I am the AD, I, I'm not. You know, they're they're look. I think they're looking for a splash hire. If I'm the Florida AD, I'm looking for someone that has done uh, a lot with very little. A good recruiting, uh, good recruiting guy has been a part or has helped build um, great teams. Been a part of great teams. He was part of that 2012 team with you know EJ Manuel back in the day with Jimbo Fisher. I think a good hire is Mark Stoops, but. I don't know. I just don't, I think a lot of people don't see that as a home run hire, even though I think he's a diamond in the rough. Hmm. AJ, do you have a name that, that you're potentially looking at? I'm also looking at Mark Stoops, to be honest. Uh, he's had success against Florida, so Florida knows what kind of his deal is as they play in the same conference as him. Also, I'm looking at Crystal Ball. He has a very good record against top 10 teams. He only has one loss against him as a head coach at Oregon. So, And he brings in recruits, as he had the number one recruit a couple years ago as a Thibodeau. As yeah, a D lineman, so I'm looking at him. Even though he has Miami ties, he he would be probably my top guy that I'd look at. Cristobal is an interesting option. I I if I'm Florida, I'm staying away from Mark Stoops. I'm staying away because I think we've seen I, his ceiling at Kentucky with with what he can do coaching wise, and I don't think he knows the area as well as people think he does when it comes to recruiting. And that's going to be the one thing that this new minister, the administration is going to look for in a new head coach. More than anything, you are going to have to be able to contend with the Alabamas and the Georgias in recruiting, which is why Cristobal appeals to be more. But we'll we'll figure we'll we'll see what happens at Florida. But for this weekend, Sebastian, between Florida and Florida State, uh, how big a win would this be for Florida State if they could go into the swamp uh, with a chance to remain bowl eligible and get a win? We haven't seen a poll here at Florida State in, what, four years? No, um, no, two years. It's been two, two years. It's been two years. 2019 Sun Bowl. Yeah. 20, oh, right. And uh, the Knowles lost to Arizona State. Yep. Um, ultimately, um, a bowl after the past two years of taking our licks from just about everybody in the state, everybody in the national media, uh, I think Florida State fans and Florida State students would be thrilled to just be back. Um, in this limited capacity. Um, I think it would kind of show everybody who uh, is still uh, indecisive about Mike, about Mike Norvell. I think uh, after the Miami game, he, he turned uh, the tide uh, towards his favor, absolutely. But uh, I think this would sell people of, you know, first time fi- at 500 in a very, very long time is something that would be uh, welcomed. Uh, by just about everybody top to bottom, be it from the uh, biggest booster to the uh, incoming freshman this year. Uh, This would be uh, ultimately seen as a kind of uh, a capstone on a year where um, the team will go kind of go down in memory as a team that just did not quit. And that is great to um, show off to recruits. I think it's great to uh, carry into uh, whatever happens in 2022. Yeah, certainly something to look forward to. Jackson, I know you had just a couple words on what kind of uh, a win this would mean for Florida State over Florida like that. So I'm, I just think this has to be the biggest game Florida State is going to have all year. 
Um, with a win, they'll be 2-0 against Miami and Florida. That's number one. They'll have a huge road win, which they got They got one against BC and UNC, but it's just not as big as going to the Swamp and knocking off the Florida Gators. They will have a bunch of momentum going into next season. They will be bowl eligible. They'll knock out one of their biggest rivals, if not their biggest rival, out of a bowl game. And with Florida's head coaching situation, they can capitalize even more by taking on by taking some of UF recruits or potential recruits away. So I mean, there there is a lot more at stake this week than a scoreline. And uh, if Florida State, like Coach Norvell said today, if they're not motivated, then they shouldn't be in the facility. They shouldn't be on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and AJ, I'll go to you. When you look at this game and Florida State's chances, uh, is there a particular uh, group that you're looking at to kind of make an impact on the game? Uh, when you look at both Florida and Florida State, what's going to decide the outcome of this game? I'm looking at the defensive line again. Yeah. Uh, Florida's had some shaky quarterback play throughout the whole year, and our defensive line has been really coming alive the past couple games, especially uh, Jermaine Johnson, who's been at all year, but and Kier Thomas. But also our defensive backs, since the great play of the front four have been so well, our defensive backs have started to play a lot better. And I'm looking at our defense to really hold us up again against this Florida team. I'm also looking at the running game. Our running game is kind of slacked a little, not really. But if we get the running game going, I feel confident. If there's a defense that Florida State can get the momentum running, it's this Florida team that has just been so out of place so many times in the running game and just being out physical by so many teams. Uh, so, we'll, Jackson, I guess. Just, just a real quick aside. I, I'm so excited to watch Travis Hunter and Amarion Cooper side-by-side side <laughs> at the defensive back. Amarion Cooper has been an absolute star these past month, this past month. And, and Are you talking about Travis J? No, Amarion Tra- Cooper. No, no, true no, no, freshman. no. You said Travis Hunter. I did. Yeah, next okay. year. All right. Oh, 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 oh sorry, sorry, sorry. The I, hot recruit. Right. Yeah. No, I thought you yeah. were talking about for this coming week. No, I apologize. I apologize. Yeah. 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 Next next year, watching Mario and Cooper, Travis Hunter, and Sam McCall, whether they play him on offense yeah. or defense, um, could be a really great backfield, a total turn of the tide of what we've been accustomed to the last couple of years. Yeah. So, you know what? We'll go around the table real quick. It's rivalry week. Sebastian. Different. Give me a score prediction nope. for Florida, Florida nope. State this weekend. You, you know do me. It. You know me. I, I don't do that ever. Well, you know what? Then we're going to defer to Jack O'Leary. Jack, get up here to the mic. You're not affiliated you with me. You picked the Miami game perfectly 31. Well, wait. You picked it perfectly, right? 31-28. Yes, that is correct. Uh, I picked the score of FSU 31, uh, Miami 28. So I need you to give a prediction on Sebastian's behalf. For this week's Florida no, Florida no, State no, 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 no. You're not affiliated with me, Jack. Don't don't give the people false impressions. Sure, then just give your pick then. All right. With all the momentum that's going in and all that's happened with the Florida program and all the hope that's going in for the FSU game, I feel like everyone's the Florida program is going to uh, bound together. The players are and somehow pull off a win. I just can't see Florida State getting it on the road. I know they had the great win at Boston College, but I'm gonna give it to Florida, 33-28 in a tight but ultimately just FSU coming up short. Wow. Given the Gators the win at home in the final game of the season in the bowl bowl or the eligible or whatever you want to call it. Uh, AJ, I'll go to you next for a final score prediction. I know the Gators were favored before Mullen got fired and they still are by one but I'm taking Florida State 23-17. Wow. Jackson? I've been very proud of my predictions this year. We were talking about it in, pre- in pre-show. I uh, The only one I got wrong was Louisville. Mm-hmm. So uh I am going to say Florida State is going to squeak it out 28-24. 28-24 FSU. Correct. That's, gotcha. that's what I got. 
when I look at this game, I I see one team that has rallied to have a five and two record in the in the second half of the season, and one team that has completely given up on any any sort of fight that they had left in them. Just constantly making errors, just constantly being out of position, giving up so and, many points to an FCF school. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. And so I think Florida State, with all the momentum they're riding with right now, I'm going to go ahead and say Florida State wins this game. And I think it actually gets kind of ugly. I'm going to go Florida State 31, Florida 20. They win by double digits. Florida State pulls away late uh, and just caps off what has been just an ugly year for the Florida Gators. Some might consider that take hot. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, Who you got? Jacksonville State week two or uh, Samford two weeks ago? Who you got? Well, Florida, uh, no, I, I would take Sanford in that game. Yeah, that's probably the better answer, I think. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, well, it depends. Do the refs uh, add an hour to the game time <laughs> just because of the Lightning. 400 injury timeouts that they'll give Jacksonville oh, yeah. State? Which one? I, I what do we say, think? I just still think, I still think that Jacksonville State game, while it was probably good for the program in the long run, I still think Florida State beats Jacksonville State 99 times out of 100. That, they do. That, that just That's just a total fluke. And they do. I mean, it, the difference between winning and losing that game was a blown tackle. So, yeah, you're right. I well, mean, it's the same thing as the Minneapolis miracle. I think you can argue the, the, the biggest reason was not playing prevent defense. Prevent but, defense. Um, because, I mean, it wasn't the easiest tackle to make. Yes, he should have made it, but it wasn't a totally missed tackle. Uh, it was just the lack of... Uh, play calling, honestly. So, um, yeah, I'd agree. I, I, but at the same time, I I think Florida State is not five and six without that game. That's a dumb thing to say, but I don't think we're six and five. That's for damn sure. It absolutely forced Mike Norvell to reevaluate stuff. I, I agree. I, I like I said, I think remember. it was good. That Jacksonville State game and the offensive game plan that they ran in there with Mackenzie Milton was abhorrent. It was so bad, and everyone was up in arms about it for good reason. And I think that through these games. Mike Norvell has done what Dan Mullen failed to do, and that is adjust and adapt and become self-aware in in his situation. Mike Norvell, if he had lost the rest of these games this season, he's gone for all intents and purposes. He's a dead man walking heading into next season. And so they turn around and they went they go five and two in their last you know their last seven games. Yeah. And sorry, but real quick, I it's so interesting because it seems like after the last two years that we as journalists have watched not journalists but you know. Sports people have watched yeah. Florida State football. It seems like we watch, and then at the end of the season, we go, "Man, if we had just started Jordan Travis, <laughs> you know, yeah. it happened well, with Georgia Tech. Did it, it happened with Georgia Tech. It happened with Miami last year, and Georgia Tech. It happened with Jacksonville State this year, and we Wake Forest as well. And so, um, was Jordan Travis hurt against Wake Forest? I believe he was. Okay, yeah. well, never mind. But he, he he got he was injured during the game. He had the Hail Mary where he just got absolutely leveled at halftime, mm-hmm. and he did not return. It was Milton for most of the game. Okay. AJ. Yeah. One last thought. That, that's the difference between Mike Norvell and Dan Mullen. Mike Norvell found this quarterback throughout the year. Dan Mullen never found this quarterback. Yeah. Between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, he just never found, stuck with one. He never found momentum. He never, you know, designed it. Like, Jordan Travis, the thing is, I still think he's a limited quarterback, but he is by, he by far, Mike Norvell decided to value winning games and Jordan Travis gave you the best chance to win games no matter what his limitations were throughout the season and it's all coming to fruition here uh, as we head into the last game of the season uh, everyone except Jack Oriado I believe is on Florida State this weekend Sebastian uh, goes unlisted in yep. his prediction yep. 
uh, absolutely a coward, cowardly move by him to not give us a Hey, you say that, but I got a couple boat parades out of my cowardice, so yeah, I'll, I'll take that all the way to the bank. Yeah, whatever. Ha, ha, ha. Really quickly, though, uh, last couple ten minutes of the show, uh, recapping FSU basketball. Sort of some you know under-the-radar games that they played. They played Tulane on Wednesday. They look really ugly. They win a game close late in that ball game. Did not shoot the ball well whatsoever. Uh, and then in Jacksonville, as part of a huge tournament that that's, uh, most college basketball teams will play, uh, they beat Loyola Marymount on Sunday. Um, so really quickly, I'll go to anyone that you know that that's been tuned in. Uh, what AJ? What's been your first impressions of this team uh, after the UF loss? My first impressions have been we just need to get our team chemistry together. We don't have an experienced team as we had in the past, or we don't have that one big recruit like Scotty Barnes last year. We just need to mesh together. Our offense needs to get a little more chemistry. We need to get on the fast break more to g- give us some more points, free points. Yeah. And our free throw shooting has been horrendous as well. Yeah. Uh, same as the three-point. I think just more games, team chemistry will help it go along through the way. I think we'll be fine. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, oh, Jackson, yeah. Go no, it's all right. Um, I was at the Tulane game Wednesday. was not able to go to the Loyola uh, Marymount yeah. game. Um, however, in the Tulane game, it, it, it kind of solidified what I've been saying this you know past couple weeks. The expectations for this team are just lower. They're 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 going to be lower. We we've, we've lost so much talent. Um, you know, I'm I'm still expecting us to get into the tournament. I don't think anybody's really worried about that as of now. Um, Do Leonard Hamilton winning- does very well at you know finding what uh, five to put out and to rotate because we start or excuse me we play so many guys. We're usually ten deep. Yeah. So um, it'll it'll be good. It'll be really a really cool. Um, Experiment to see how Leonard Hamilton goes about the rest of the year, uh, but the expectations are just lower. That's that's what it is to me. Yeah, it's certainly something to look for. I, I agree with AJ. They need to get on the fast break and defend a little bit better, just because their their half court offense is clearly still developing uh, in its early stages there. And so, anytime you can push the ball, push the momentum, push the pace, uh, and get those free points like you were talking about, uh, it'll be interesting to see. As we get closer and closer to, to ACC play, I'm really looking forward to the Purdue game later. Purdue is looking like a monster right now uh, when they come to town. I believe they come to town here. Uh, Jack, I'll go to no, you real we quick. We go to them, I think. Yeah, go to them. Yes, yeah that's right. We, we do go to West Lafayette. Yeah. Uh, as someone who did watch the Loyola game, Florida State yeah. put together the game that they have needed to. That is yeah. the blueprint. That is what they should do every time. Uh, incredible defense to start off, and then while the offense was sluggish, it was a second-half explosion, and that's what we need to see, the three the three-point finally got going as for the free throws not so much however it was an offensive explosion it's exactly what florida state needed against loyola and tonight they will um cap off their jacksonville classic uh with a 8:30 cbs game cbs sports network game against missouri mm-hmm. i think florida state can pull it out but it will be uh if they can put up what they did last night missouri does not have a chance what day is it sorry uh, that is tonight oh, tonight, tonight okay. at 8:30. yep so we shall certainly see if they can pull it out there, keep building off the momentum that uh, yesterday's win got them. Uh, but moving from college basketball in Florida State, little crazy NBA game last night. Lakers at the Pistons. Lakers, I think it lost four out of their last five. They are a, a terrible, terribly constructed team right now uh, looking for answers. But the craziest part about this game wasn't the final as the Lakers came back, a rally back really to win. It was the fight that broke out between LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart, the forward for the uh, Detroit Pistons. This is so, so LeBron funny. goes under the under the rim for the rebound off the free throw and absolutely closed fist nails Isaiah Stewart right in the head, uh, bleeding from all angles. And Stewart goes absolutely ballistic, Sebastian. Um, 
when was the last time you saw a fight like that in the NBA? Was it I, the was at the Palace? No, there, there's definitely been you know scuffles and full on brawls, and especially during during the mid two thousands when or the early two thousands when when defense actually still existed yeah. in the NBA. But no, my favorite part about this this fight is that Isaiah Thomas goes like backs off and goes. Uh, Isaiah yeah. Thomas hasn't Sorry. played in a while in Detroit. I did the same thing that I think the ref did last night. Then, uh, yeah. but yes, I, Isaiah Stewart. You know, backs off and he goes like, "I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool," and then immediately starts making a beeline for LeBron again and runs it back three times. Yeah. <laughs> this man was out for blood. I mean, he had blood on his face, his own blood. But um, man, that was it. It was comical. It, it was. It reminded me of when um, I forget it, it was the the Clippers and who was it? The Suns. Uh, you know the the Chris Paul trying to beat me up uh, fight at the uh, at the Staples Center. Oh no, you're, you're, Laker, talk, you're talking about the Rockets. Was it Lakers? So, so Lakers, Lakers Rockets. I was gonna mention that. That's one of my favorite moments all time. Rajon Rondo spits in Chris Paul's face, and they get into a fight yes. like that. Brandon Ingram gets upset. You also had the the, the Clippers Rockets altercation. Where uh, Charles Barkley says, "I have never seen a police presence yeah, police used in the presence. NBA before." Oh man, that you is so. And, funny. and you can't forget Miami and the Nuggets. No, a week ago. No, yeah, yeah we just we just had a fight oh, earlier right. this year with a cheap and, shot and with Jokic. Marcus there. Morris is still out with neck injury. Yep. Exactly. Nerve so, injury. But AJ and Jackson, I'll go to you. Uh, LeBron gets surprisingly, in my eyes, considering that the Lakers play at Madison Square Garden tomorrow against the Knicks. LeBron gets suspended for the game. He's not going to play. Uh, is that warranted in you in you guys? LeBron gets one game. Isaiah Stewart gets two for their actions involved. I think so. Uh, I was surprised LeBron could, got suspended because he's the NBA sweetheart. Yeah. But it, it was deservedly so, and I think Isaiah Stewart deserved more games than LeBron. But as crazy as this, and I think this wakes up the Lakers team almost. gives <laughs> energizes them. Uh, I think they're going to start playing better ball. They're going to start getting some team chemistry. And Russell, Russell Westbrook called it a signature win for the Lakers. He scored. That he went so fifteen. Corny, they are nine and He eight, went fifteen please. five and five in the fourth quarter, After to, to end the, the fisticuffs. Yeah, like to end the, the game Dame last logo. night. So I, th- I think it does energize the Lakers. Yeah, Jackson. I think LeBron should have been arrested. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Put in no, jail. No, but um, I think it was it was a warranted suspension. I mean, he closed fists the dude in the eye. Yeah. I mean, it all obviously. Slow motion, we know this from football and instant replay. Slow motion makes it look a lot worse than it actually is. But, I mean, you have to know, if you're coming over, the, I mean, I've played baseball, excuse me, I played basketball growing up a yeah. lot. If you're coming over the top on a, on a free throw uh, and you're trying to box out, you know that going over the top with a closed fist and making a you know, full 90-degree turn is probably going to end up badly. It, it just didn't look like it was not intentional or not unintentional. So, uh, I think one was okay. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised had they waited until after the Knicks game. Yeah, exactly. And then suspended him. But I think a suspension was warranted. But also, shout out to Adam Silver. He's, I think he's been a pretty consistent commissioner. Um, you never really hear too much about him. Uh, That's a good thing with commissioners, I usually. Agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, it seems like we're hearing something about Roger Goodell or... Uh, Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred oh. every week. I mean, Rob Manfred. Is, oh my terrible. gosh, he's in the news. We uh, we can do a whole podcast week. on Rob Manfred. Golly, right? but um, it you know, shout out to Adam Silver. That's all I got. Yeah, well, we shall see <clears throat> what happens to the Lakers later on in the season. But we'll we'll re- uh, we'll uh, round out the show tonight. The last five minutes with some some NFL talk. Crazy Sunday night football game last night between the Chargers and Steelers. Chargers get the win. AJ, I know you were a big fan of that game just because of what Austin Eckler did. 
Yeah, I had uh, three guys in that game for my fantasy team. Austin <laughs> Eckler, I've been on him since Melvin Gordon was there. I love that guy. Um, then Mike Williams was also on my team and Deontay, Deontay Johnson. So it was a great night of football for me. Right. And the Chargers just add to the list of teams that are bunched up there at 6-4, and 7-4. and four. Titans are leading at 8-3 and three right now. Um, and don't look now, guys, but the Chiefs, after their dominant win over the Cow, I mean their defense absolutely dominated the Cowboys. I know it was nineteen to nine, but the defense absolutely lived in Dallas's backfield yesterday. And what was kind of an underwhelming game for the Cowboys, Sebastian? Uh, Chiefs get the win. They're seven and four, a game out of the number one seed in the AFC. Who'd have thought we'd see this after the way that the Chiefs started the season? I mean, who'd have thought we would have seen uh, the hoodie up in New England? Uh, yes, also yes. a game back. It's just there are certain things that I guess are inevitable in the AFC. Right. And it is anybody, it's still very much anybody's game. We are heading into week 12 of 18. Yeah. Dolphins uh, got a shot. We are two third. The Dolphins. Okay. Anybody but, but the, the Dolphins, Dolphins has yes. a shot um, for that AFC. I'm just. It, and don't look, the, the, the Patriots play the Titans this week. If they win. That's it. And then they're the, the number one seed. It's crazy to think about. Dolphins get a better shot than the Jets, though. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, congratulations. You you are your Trump and make you a wish. You are better kids. than the Jets. Yeah. Round of applause, everybody. Raise Dolphins those are better than the Jets. Raise those banners, baby. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal win by the Dolphins against the Jets <laughs> this weekend. Give me a break. But, uh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, Sebastian, you can you But uh, I. I so, the Steelers game. I Just real quick, I want to say the Steelers are the biggest pretenders in the AFC, and they've been exposed as such uh, against the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers are actually legitimate and on an upward trend. The Steelers are absolutely on a downward trend. Um, what, if kind of, we, what, what pent-up hatred do you have for the Steelers? Or oh, just, uh, I, I just, I, I don't, but, like, you know that one scene in Breaking Bad where Jesse goes, he can't keep getting away with this? Oh, yeah. Are you talking that, Ben? That that's me with that's me with just the entirety of the Steelers. It's like you can't just cheese your way to a winning record they year after did. year and then get blown up in the playoffs every single year. It's very annoying. Regardless, um, screw it. Where was I going? With we were that? just talking about the AFC favorites and, and uh, AJ. I'll, I'll I'll go to oh, you right um, for the AFC and NFC. Uh, what do you? Who is the team that you have your eye on as we get closer and closer to to December? In the AFC, uh, what team do you see rising from uh, th- from the rest? I think it has to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> their their defense is just mediocre now, and that's getting them by. <laughs> I mean, their defense led them to the win against the Cowboys. Their their offense still looks a little shaky as much as Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey there is. They only put up 19 points against the Cowboys, yeah. and you expect a lot more from that offense. I think uh, the offense will start getting better, and the defense has gotten better, and so I think that's the main team you got to worry about in the AFC yeah and I think the direct cor- there's a direct correlation between switch trading for Melvin Ingram for them getting Chris Jones back inside rushing the rushing the quarterback uh, and their defense absolutely taken off these last couple of weeks uh, and then speaking of we went talked a little bit about the AFC on the NFC side Monday Night Football tonight Sebastian and I I know you're excited for this game uh, Giants at the Bucks Daniel Jones playing the Bucks for the third straight year He's 1-1 one one in these matchups, and he played them close in a loss last year. Uh, what's your read on, on how this game is going to turn out? So uh, you and I were talking about this before uh, the show, but Danny Danny Dimes loves the water in Tampa. Oh, he's, yeah. he's, just, he's just built different when he's playing when he's playing Tampa. They lost last year against the Buccaneers. The Giants lost last year against the Buccaneers on a last-second, you know, death throws kind of gold line stand by the Buccaneers. By the man who was you were wearing his jersey right now. Yeah, by Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, number 31 for the Buccaneers. Um, 
I'm worried about this game. I mean, the, the Bucks are getting a big boost in the secondary. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting is coming back tonight. Um, Rob Gronkowski is a game-time decision. I still think he's not ready. Let's not do the exact same thing that we did three weeks ago where uh, the Buccaneers thought, you know what, he's ready, put him in, and he immediately gets burned and starts getting back spasms again. You need Gronkowski if you want to win late in the postseason because that is Brady's favorite target all time, and you want to protect that guy because his body cannot take the punishment that it could years and years ago. Yeah. The last point uh, for me for this game, uh, it's going to be a, a secondary battle. If the, the wide receivers in New York aren't great, but they can surprise you with big yardage plays. Danny Dimes' arm is not to be underestimated. If we can lock down that second, you know, if we lock down the deep ball, um, we've got a great chance for the Buccaneers to finally right the ship and retake like a, a, a place up on the uh, for the chase in the number one seat for the NFC. Those those Cardinals are not slowing down, and that is a big concern for everybody who aren't them. Yeah, they got to keep pace with the Cardinals, but we shall see. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the 11 points or whatever they were giving the Bucks uh, as a favorite tonight. Uh, we shall see, though. But that is going to do it for this Thanksgiving week edition of Tomahawk Talk, Rivalry Week edition uh, as Florida State plays Florida. Uh, we shall see what becomes of that. But for myself, Luke Hazen, for my co-host for the day, uh, for the day Sebastian Andoriano, AJ LeCourcier making his uh, debut here on the show. Jackson Bakich, uh, always, always charming and awesome on the show. Uh, Jack Oloriato on Twitter. Scott Clemens in the booth. This has been Tomahawk Talk, and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.